we are back for another season, well, third season, actually, I'm going to say, of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Billamore, and I am joined, firstly, by Our Generation Quiz runner-up Ben Summer. Welcome. Our Generation Quiz winner Ben Summer, yeah. He's not letting it go. And also joining us, now, he is a winner, but he is a winner of the award for Strangest Place to Record in Our Generation podcast. It's Micah Chudley. Welcome. Uh, I'm proud to finally accept my award on air. Um, yeah, in my room this time, not in the car, unfortunately, but there we go. Uh, well, we haven't just assembled because we wanted to chat about QPR for a bit. We actually got together to briefly discuss our new head coach. Crucial that, that you remember it's a head coach, not manager. Michael Beale, who joined the club yesterday uh, on a three-year deal. So, guys, is uh, is this cause for celebration? Is it more relief? Are you happy that the search is over? I'm going to call it cautious optimism. That's how I'm going to describe it. No, were you not sort of ecstatic that the fact that we've got someone who's come quite highly rated from uh, Villa, from Rangers, and you know not saying that Steven Gerrard knows nothing about football because that's clearly not true but he's done a lot of the tactical work by the sounds of it yeah um here is my thing I'm excited for him I think it's a good appointment I think it fits us and I don't want to be the cynical QPR fan but I am the cynical QPR fan you play the role so well Micah you may as well just do. do it I do so I may as well keep it going um you just don't know you just don't know listen it comes with a great reputation and I am excited to see he's clearly very forward thinking clearly got you know a clear idea and I think it does fit in with our squad I've just been I've been fed too much too much BS in my time at Q I'm not saying it is it's just cautious this is what I mean cautious optimism I'm not ready to jump on the bandwagon just yet let's let's see pre-season let's see what players we get in Okay, I think that's a fair assessment. But Ben, how are you feeling about this? Is it jubilation? Not quite. I mean, I, I think I'm probably buying into it a little bit more than than Michael, and I'm not saying that's like advisable or, or, or good, but I think I'm slightly falling for it all a little bit more. No, I, I think it's a good appointment. Um, I think it's the sort of manager where it is a bit of a gamble. There is the whole thing that he hasn't had a, a sort of you know head coach or manager role um, officially before, but I also don't think it's the kind of oh, but Steve McLaren's good at coaching thing. Like, it is clear that that uh, Beal does a lot of the actual tactical thinking and decisions, even when he's been assistant manager. Um, what excites me about it is the fact that we're giving him his first proper job, the fact that he is so highly rated. I think it is actually a, a, an appointment that could allow us to progress beyond Mark Warburton and possibly, possibly iterate and improve on the sort of attacking football that Warburton set us up to play. However, in doing that, in appointing a manager who's not had a first team sort of head coach job before that is a gamble and it could be completely go the other way. Yeah, I guess it's weird to suggest that, isn't it? We've got gone from someone who's been in the game for not a massive amount of time, but he's done a lot of different jobs at this level in Mark Wilberton and he's got us playing in a certain way. And, you know, some people argue that he took us as far as he could take us. And it was the right time to go, time tell what happened, whether that's true or not. Um, and now you've got Bill, who's 
someone that comes obviously highly rated, but we're all a little bit excited, even though he's not done anything uh, as the main man, let's say. Um, I think, like I already said, he will be the head coach. So I guess this means uh, much to some people's disappointment that that director of football role that Les currently occupies, he's going to become oh so more important than he already is because all that sort of other stuff that comes with the title of manager, I guess, will be not taken on by Beal. And I guess if he's not actually, not saying that he's not up to it, but if he doesn't want to do that or if he sees himself as more of a head coach, then why not? And I think the head coach role is more more common anyway this now day and age of football, isn't it? It's very rare that you actually get a manager who sort of runs the whole shop. So, yeah, the, the other thing that you mentioned about Steve McLaren, he's an oddity because he's such a highly rated coach and, you know, he's won the treble with Man United and as an actual manager or head coach, he's just never been able to do it. So that was the one kind of thing that I was wary of before Bill came in. But having said that, with all the sort of praise that he's got from different ex-players, uh, coaches has worked alongside him, and of course, Steven Gerrard. Surely, you know, we can kind of be a little bit more optimistic than, say, when we had McLaren. Yeah, and I, I think on that point about the head coach role, um, I thought it was sort of interesting. Um, I don't know if anyone listened to the uh, Nader Manua interview on the Open All Ours podcast, but uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, he was saying, I think you're going to expect a bit of an unexpected name a name that the board is going to sort of bring in to work with the youth and progress the club over the next few years. And in light of that, I find it interesting that we've given him a, the head coach title and B a three-year deal um, because, you know, Warburton had his rolling deal that worked pretty effectively from the board's perspective of how long they wanted to keep him on for and when they made the decision to get rid of him. And you look at the signings that he brought in and the ones that were quote unquote Warburton signings worked pretty well for Warburton and, and you know to the sort of vast majority of them but they haven't been the signings that we're sort of now looking to develop the sort of Chris Willocks and those have, have, have more been Andy Belk and, and the board and so on so I think it's fairly clear what the intention is with Bill um, in terms of developing players and I think it, it does seem like kind of quite joined up decision making which is decent to see. Yeah so just before we talk about you know his career um one of these Warburton players that is going to be leaving the club by the sounds of it is Joran Barbe. We know that his deal is going to expire. I think we saw today that I can't remember who it was that said it, Bordeaux. but it was Bordeaux, Bordeaux isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not, I can't quite remember. A Bordeaux in the top division? They, it's interesting. They've just been relegated to right. um, the second division. So it might not be as kind of a uh, Clear like cut. for like, yeah, yeah. Because we kind of joked in the past that Barbie likes to do this. He spent three years at Brentford, got to the, a certain point where he was offered a new deal and they wanted him to stay on, and then he decides to move from there in search of quote at at the time apparently Premier League football, and comes to us who were probably behind Brentford at the time. Um, Brentford then go on and get promoted within a couple of seasons, and yeah, you know, he come he leaves us on the verge of the playoffs. Um, again, this time though, it's the other way round. He kind of wants to stay, but clearly 
the club and maybe the new head coach has said we don't really need him and this is partly due I think to the fact that we're going to be playing a back four isn't it yeah I I think so I think as well the other thing just from the club standpoint I know there's been a little bit of talk about um sort of wages and how we might have you know sort of pushed the boundaries a little bit with wages and stuff um we were talking about this in our group chat earlier actually I think 28-29 is a very sort of sort of a precarious year to offer players contracts I think I can't think of any examples off the top of my head but there's been several several in at the top level of football where guys are 28-29 in really good form sign a four-year deal on really good wages and for the first year or so they look good and then for the final two, three years of their contract, you're just lugging them about. Like, Juan Mata, who's just left United, is a good example of that. I think they gave him like a four-year deal at 29. They got one good year out of him, I think, maybe. So from that standpoint, I can sort of understand why maybe the club have stood off sort of going all in, especially without a manager. Um, what I do worry about is, um, I think in a back four especially, it's going to be important to have a left foot centre-back playing out from the back. I'm not quite sure Davies is, is of Barbe's quality. In fact, I know he's not of Barbe's quality in, in terms of the distribution side of the game. Defensively, you know, that's another argument. So I think my worry is, is there a replacement there? Is there a left footed centre-back ready to come in that's within our budget? That, that would be the only thing for me. Uh, this is quite annoying because normally... Dan Lambert is very good at the tactical stuff. Don't tell him I said this, but he will. He would sort of jump in there. And I think he's suggested to us that he doesn't think that we're going to be playing so much. There's not going to be so much of a reliance on playing out from the back on the field. Um, I think from what, having looked at a few of his videos on YouTube uh, with Coach's voice, he's more about, I don't know, like winning the ball back in the centre of the park and, playing aggressive, fast football. So I don't know if it's going to be so possession-based. Um, ben, did you have... No, so sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I just no. think it's interesting because I think um, he, he talks about sort of adding his own stamp to what mm. is like already there. I think he said something along those lines in the interview. Um, does, does that mean... You know, it's going to be similar to last season, but a little bit more intense, a little bit sort of more organised pressing, or are we are we stripping it right back to how we, as we said, play from the back as to how we build up? Like, how, what I'm interested to see. What I'm trying to say is, I'm interested to see what mm. his own stamp actually is. I think it's going to end up being quite similar to what Villa have been playing, because he's apparently does a lot of the tactical work for them. Uh, ben, did you have anything to say on the Barbe issue? Nothing massive. Uh, if it's me, uh, I would like to have offered him a, a new deal. Obviously, you don't know in terms of a player what what deal are they going to accept because the sort of ideal from a QPR perspective is maybe two years or something like that. But he's at a stage of his career where he'll probably want a, a bigger contract. Um, I do think a bit of continuity from who is a player who is now one of our longest serving current players uh, between one manager and another. Would have been quite positive. I think he's a real asset, but also I'm probably forgetting a lot of the emotions and feelings I had watching him play in a back four before Warburton switched to a back five. So 
you know, yeah, I, I, I can I've... see both sides of it. Yeah, <laughs> Look, he's not a back four player, let's be honest. Uh, and he's given Mike uh, many heart attacks, you know. And it's just uh, some of the things that he did in the back four were scandalous. He looks so shaky, but in the back three, he looks so much more confident and assured. Like yeah. he's Look, such a he's such a formation player. It's ridiculous. I mean, I absolutely love him as well. Don't you know? Don't don't get me wrong, but I can, if I'm being really cold hearted, see why the club would wait to see what Bill thinks, and well, uh, is, if it, that results in losing him, then yeah, suppose that's how it goes. This is the thing, um, you know, we've had a bit of debate over the way the club treats players, right? And players of certain dedication to the club. But this is just how football works. You know, why, if we signed Barbe to a new deal for two years with an option for a third, that classic Lee Hughes, like, three-year option thing, and then he doesn't really play, what an awful decision that is. That is just wasted money. And of course, people would rightly call it out. So why, when we don't know who the manager is, why would we be giving him a new deal? Well, I think the possibly one place where I disagree with you on that, and I think it was a point made by Charlie Austin, is that when you're getting towards the back end of a season where there's a lot to play for, and a lot of the players don't know whether they're contracted to the club for the next year, whether the club necessarily values them enough as assets to give them a new deal, that might affect their confidence. That might affect how they play. Now, in the case of a player like Charlie Austin, I cannot fault how the club acted because despite him being an absolute hero at QPR, having provided these incredible moments, I do not think he is a player that we should have offered a new deal to. And I'm fairly glad that we didn't. With Barbe, I can see the, the point that actually giving him the assurance that he's important at QPR, that he will be here next season possibly gives that extra little boost. And I think he's a player that would be useful around the squad. It's not like offering a deal to a kind of ageing striker who may not feature at all. If you give Johan Barbe a deal at QPR, he will prove himself useful at some point in a season, I think. But, um, I, you know, I don't, for me, I, I still haven't made my mind up, to be honest. Well, uh, let's move back to our focus, uh, our new head coach. So who is he? Who is Michael Beale? Um He had a small youth career uh, but couldn't quite make it uh, at that level and gave it up quite early but what he did from there is he took the limited money that he did earn and made a futsal club in his hometown of Bromley and it was there that he caught the eye of the boss of the Chelsea Academy at the time and uh, as I understand the apology for working for Chelsea is still pending so whenever you (laughs) want to issue that Michael go ahead son uh, it was there he coached the under sevens and under nines. Uh, from there, he moved on to Liverpool's academy after apparently being frustrated at the lack of progress uh, into the first team for Chelsea youth players at the time under Roman Abramovich. If he can, interesting. Remember. I mean, sounds about right, doesn't it? <laughs> um, at Liverpool, he coached the under sixteens uh, before moving on to the under twenty threes eventually uh, and it was there of course he met Stephen Gerrard who would then take him on to Rangers and of course Villa as his assistant manager he also had a brief spell in between uh, spells at Liverpool's academy with Sao Paulo in Brazil but that ended after six months after a poor run of form and interestingly enough I believe he speaks Portuguese Um, so that is you know he's clearly a very intelligent man 
uh, only out there for six months, picked up the language pretty well. Um, so I keep on reading these things and keep on getting really impressed, which again is really worrying. Actually, we shouldn't. That's be... why I'm being cynical, Alex. That we can't be this excited at this. Too point. good to be true. This is a QPR. It's the host. Just to add the, the opposite of that uh, cynical attitude. Um, you know, if any Portuguese sort of football manager wonder kids are out there listening to this podcast, <laughs> he speaks your language. You know, come along, <laughs> join us. Um, yeah, so it is the hope that kills you with QPR. But let's go back to the search. It was a pretty extensive search in the end for the new boss. Were you guys ever worried that this was going to drone on forever and it was going to be a typical QPR sort of move, sack a good manager and not replace a new him until the you know early hours of the season when you're sort of struggling to sign new players? Were, were you, you, know you getting I, worried? I got the feeling quite early that this is what they was doing just because... Every time in my lifetime, it feels like QPR replaced a manager. The next day in like West London Sport, London Evening Standard, Daily Mail, it's this guy linked with the job, this guy. I remember Mark Hughes was like a 48-hour turnaround after Neil Warnock was sacked. Harry Redknapp was something similar. So, so when I was seeing McLaren people... was pretty much in the post before Holloway was out the door. <laughs> Holloway, Holloway didn't even know he was out of a job before <laughs> McLaren had it. Um, so I realised when people were, were putting all these names onto it, I remember um, a, a certain ITK who will remain nameless because I think he's a little bit embarrassed at the moment, was saying Sean Dyche after 24 hours and other people were just picking names off the bookies and I kind of realised, oh, there, there's no sort of like leading candidate in there. There's no name. They're clearly sort of going to go through a process. And I think... Um, all things considered, as I said on the last pod, it's only a bad decision to sack Warburton if you don't sort of replace him with somebody that does better. I think the club, I'm not saying they listened to me. I'm also saying they didn't listen to me. Uh, but um, they, I think they kind of realised, actually, if we're going to do this, we should do this properly. We shouldn't just kind of go for sort of the name, as we have done in the past. Um I wouldn't say I was worried, but the closer we got to June, I was a little bit like, we're back for pre-season in a two weeks time. Like we need need somebody. Um, mm. But I, I'm I'm actually quite happy with the time that they took. To be honest with you, the um the interesting thing when you mentioned the bookies is that obviously Liam Manning was probably I guess the bookies' favourite for majority of this, and it did fluctuate sort of day to day. You know, Sol Campbell one day. Uh, you know, um, who is the one that ex Oxford manager Robinson, the Carl, next Carl Robinson, Carl Robinson. Yeah. and then Beale was never in there, he was never linked via the bookies at all. Um, I think Pirlo was at 33 to 1 at one point to be the manager, and then all of a sudden he appears on the sky bet odds at one to one I noticed one morning and then since then he's get, I guess been the leading contender and that's you know where they know something um, and you know the rest is history I guess um, so in comparison to those other options do you think at this point in time it's the correct appointment yes I do yeah um, and I, I think you've got to compare it to the options that actually were in with any sort of chance of being appointed 
Um, look at that, maybe in terms of a Manning, who I think would have been decent, maybe an Ainsworth, the sort of ones that were, you know, being interviewed and, and you could see being appointed. I think we've learned that the bookies' odds don't mean anything, just as a, a little aside, and that, you know, football fans love having something to be angry about in terms of, I don't think once was Tim Sherwood ever actually linked to the job in this window, but of course that name comes up. And then of course people say, if Tim Sherwood gets the job, I'm not renewing my season ticket. Sol Campbell at most may have been interviewed. We don't actually know for sure. What we do sort of seem to know from various in the know people is that he was not a front runner at any point. And Emma Hayes, we've not heard anything official about, but people hear the name. And it's an interesting discussion to have about, about where Emma Hayes would slot into the men's game if she moved to it. But she wasn't in contention and people drove themselves into a frenzy. So out of the options that are actually realistic. Yes, as I've said, I think I think this is an appointment that has a chance to build upon what Warburton has done and possibly uh, I don't want to say exceed it because I've got a lot of respect for what Warburton's done, but it doesn't feel like a backward step and it doesn't feel like we're appointing someone who is more limited than Warburton, which was my worry if we went for potentially an Ainsworth or someone. Yeah, just to add to that as well, I think one thing that um, was sort of labelled at criticism-wise with Warburton was that people felt tactically he was a little bit naive or a bit stubborn. Um, I don't think you're going to get that with this guy. I think... Um, everybody's talking about his coach's voice video, but if anybody's listening that hasn't watched it, it's a really good watch. He sort of talks about the flexibility of midfielders dropping in and making a back three, wing backs pushing on. So I, like Ben said, I don't feel like this is a guy that knows less about football than Warburton. If anything, I feel like he probably knows a little bit more. So I'm, I'm excited from that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, that video in particular, I watched it before coming on here and that talking about the f- formations, it's kind of, it's all kind of based off the 4 3 3, isn't it? But then there's like variations around it, which I guess you can call in different formations in itself. So you have got the uh, 4 3 2 1, which you may know better as the Christmas tree <laughs> formation, um, which I believe was used, I think it, like England used it in the tournament before our time or something like that, Euro 96. AC Milan and uh, Carlo Ancelotti used to use it as well. There we go. Um, but it's all about using, like you said, the, the variation and the f- footballers that are able to sort of not just fix in one position. If you look at what Aston Villa do at the moment, and this was shown in a, uh, a TIFO video from The Athletic, and they did a great sort of analysis on the title is did has Gerard improved um, Villa, but they do recognize in there that to be honest, a lot of the time the tactics is done by Beal. And when you look at the way that Villa is set up, and you watch this coach's voice video, and you, it all clicks. It, you all realize that actually, yeah, it is him behind the scenes organizing this all. Inverted tens as wingers rather they're not playing as actual wingers you might they might be down there as a winger but they're going to be playing inside and all your width comes from the fullbacks so can we talk about that well i I have a question for you are our fullbacks up to the challenge absolutely not i'm glad because this is what i wanted to talk about you're not about to say anything against osman kakai no i'm never biggest fan i would never i would never say anything about ozzy kakai ever I would never say anything about Albert Adoma. 
Um, has anybody watched the Lee? This came out just before we went on. I forgot to ask you. Has anybody watched the Lee Who's? Um, yeah. Did you hear what he said? No. About what? contract discussions. Remind us. So he said, I, I can't remember word for word because I watched it very quickly before we came on. But he said, oh, we're still in discussions with two players, um, Adoma and Barbe. But he didn't say anything about, um, about Moses. So mm. either Moses has agreed a deal or Moses is leaving. That's a good point. Do you see Moses as the sort of player that Bill might have come in and immediately gone, that fits the profile, let's give him a go? I think Moses would have probably been a good fit for our right wing rack under Michael Beal. Yeah, I, I, I think, think I'd agree with you on that. Second choice, if you could get someone else, because he's still got that sort of injury prone streak to him. You rotate but, if you rotate him well enough. I think he's that's fine. Two footed as well, so you play yeah. either side. So yeah. you look at it, you negates the need to maybe go and get a note because we're going to need it at least well, two more. Really, a doma is an interesting one because these this position it's not a wing back per se, but it kind of does. It's more of a modern fullback. Mm-hmm. If you kind of catch what I'm saying, so like when they do attack, and this was explained in the uh, Villa Tifo video, that when they do attack, you've got like you will have just two centre backs, um, you kind of like sitting deep, and then you kind of end up having like a front five in a sense, yeah. with the with your let wingers being your fullbacks, and that and that is why they signed. Because when they had Ashley Young doing it and they showed this, uh, what do they call it? Uh, passing networks and the average position of the players in a certain game. And Ashley Young was so deep, he lit because he is of an older age, he could not get up and down, and his average position was a lot deeper. Whereas when they had it with uh, and it just created a horrible imbalance for the side, but when you have uh Digne and Cash, two athletic young wingbacks or fullbacks, the, the balance was so much better. They were sort of in line with each other, right up the top there as the more, more advanced players on average in the side. And that is going to be so important for us. So the question is to you guys right now, mm-hmm. is Albert Adoma realistically going to be able to play that role? After what we saw at the end of the season this year, because I don't think he has the legs anymore that he showed at the start of the season. I think he is an option for us in that role. I think, you know, it, I don't want to forget that in the sort of hot streak of form that he had last season, he had some of the best defensive stats for a fullback in the championship, not just the attacking stuff and the ability to make a little bit of that magic happen. However, if you're talking about fullbacks, wingbacks, the extent of a front five, recovery pace worries me. Um, and the ability to cover that ground consistently several times across the 90, across a season, does worry me. I would give him the year. Um, and I think in terms of tactical flexibility and the different sort of positions that he could play in under Beal, I don't think he's necessarily just um, limited to a wing-back. I always wanted to see him as one of the two creative players behind the striker with Warburton, because I think Warburton did let those players drift quite wide, like with Willock. I'd give him the year. I'd see what Beal can do with him, and he's a good character. Yeah, so um, in terms of the, the wing-back thing, I think a good sort of example in terms of if you want to see how we'll probably attack next season. So if you look at kind of the first sort of 
season where Liverpool were really sort of the Liverpool we know now. So when it was Mane, Firmino, Salah, and you had Trent and Robertson bombing on. I think when you talk about that sort of front five, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a two, three, five. He, he sort of Michael Beale said before that Cruyff is kind of his sort of his inspiration. The two, three, five is kind of Cruyff's sort of football philosophy. So the idea would be that you sort of have a striker here and your two sort of wingers or inside tens would be just behind. And then your wing backs obviously provide the width, as we said. Um, in terms of how that bodes for us, um, realistically, um, anybody that listens regularly to this won't be surprised to hear me say this. It's going to require some very athletic wing backs uh, or athletic fullbacks. It's going to require guys that um, do have the energy to get up and down. Um, the team lacks quite a bit of pace, in my opinion. I think a good place to have pace is always out wide. Um, and on top of that, they need to have some level of uh, defensive ability to go with um, putting the putting the ball in the box, the final ball. Um, so it's interesting because th- those type of sort of specialised fullbacks, they're not cheap. Um, and they are worth their weight in gold. Um, well, yeah, because now... As we so often hear, the fullback is so important now to modern day football, yada, yada, yada. Well, it is. We all know that now. And it's no longer that you could probably get him a fullback on the cheap. You try and risk it with someone like Moses or you convert a winger like uh, a Dimer. And well, Moses was a winger originally as well. So, you know, that's probably the cheapest way of doing it. Buying a cheap level winger who can kind of defend and converting him into an attacking fullback. That's what Ashley Young was. That was probably more to do with the fact that, though, towards the back end of his career, he didn't have the ability at that point, perhaps, to go forward as a attacking player exclusively. Um, but maybe you look at it from the point of view of that's why we should keep Moses. You know, we talk about him potentially getting another deal when we know it's so hard to find these players. You've got one that's kind of, you know, done the job don't necessarily have to have him as your first choice, but he's versatile across both sides. He knows the club well. You know, that's another good reason probably just to keep him around. It's just, you know, it's another box ticked. It's not necessarily an expensive signing. You know, that I don't know. You, yeah. Looking no, I think that's kind of brought us full, full circle on the on the Moses chat. Really, he fits enough of the profile, and just on a on a kind of wider note, I know the conversation on which players are we going to have to sell to make some money has kind of gone quiet, but that may still need to happen. And you have got players leaving at the end of their contract. I think you know one one. Mike is not going to let Ilias go. No, neither. Yeah, no. Uh, I don't no, think he leaves either. Actually, but I'll get on to that. Well, that's that's suppose that's a whole a whole chat to move on to, right? But my my point is that uh, if you're looking at players to retain just to have a bit of continuity between one manager and another um, Moses seems like the profile of player that that would make the most sense for. Yeah absolutely. Uh, you mentioned Johan Cruyff, Micah and it's one of the things that he did say in uh, the coach's voice video about uh, for his defence the organisation needs to be crucial and I mean he said run less, less stress, ready to attack. Now that seems very total football to me. Like it just, the whole idea of like, you know, everything should be built towards attacking, 
going up the other end and scoring and being as entertaining as possible, which is something else that he said. He wanted um, it's football that is exciting to play and exciting to watch, and which, to watch. you know, again, <laughs> I'm just scared at how happy I am. Um <laughs> I mean, anyone can say that, right? I, like, yeah. I, I, I am very it's, excited for Michael Beale, but anyone can say they like football that's excited to play and excited to watch. Yeah, no? but I don't think they do, though. They People say, like, I want to have a good brand of football or, like, I yeah. want to make... I want to, you know, like, I want them to play uh, football that the fans will enjoy. And then you end up with what we had under McLaren. Everyone says it. But it feels different. Like there's actual meat on the bones, whereas some people just say it as sort of like they get asked a question by the media representative from the club and they're sort of like, oh, well, what should I say in reply? And it feels like they just say, well, say you want to play attacking, expansive, exciting football. Yeah. And that's like an easy win. If I'm going to squeeze out a genuine bit of analysis from the football that's excited to play and excited to watch thing, I think it is the fact that we've got players like Ilias Chair who clearly love playing football, clearly still they have something of a point to prove and I think will benefit from the relationship with the players that Bill has had at Chelsea, at Liverpool, at Rangers and Villa. But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to put much stock in that particular phrase. I think. Yeah, uh, I think we've already mentioned it, but he said as well uh, that his utopia would be finding a group of players that have freedom to rotate in the final third. Mm. Now, Again, we kind of go back to chair and Willock. Do we think that in this current squad we've got, not saying enough, but do you think we've kind of got the basis of the sort of squad that could perhaps fulfil his wishes there? I think the front three, as it would be, if it is to be chair, Willock and Dykes, definitely. Um, I mean, you saw chair and Willock sort of switching sides quite a lot this season and one sort of criticism which was levelled at Dykes, which I always thought was a little bit unfair, which is um, how deep Dykes drop, Dyke, how deep Dykes drops. That was really hard to say. Um, how how deep he comes into uh, midfield, but I think um, that'll be something that Beal, you know, if we take him for face value for what he said, I think that's going to be something that he would probably encourage. To be honest with you, in terms of maybe Dykes dropping in and the two of them pushing on, or Chair and Willock switching position. Um, I think from that standpoint, you would say, yeah, there's a really good sort of basis. Um, the question comes in, unfortunately, though, with the wing-backs, who is the wing-back going to be? Um, you know, the Duke McKenna, people are talking about whether he'll be in the team next season. He was playing sort of right wing-back for Torquay in a back five. He was a 10 at under-23 level. That's quite a big jump. A number 10 at under-23 level to right wing back at national league level to a right back essentially uh, um, at championship level on the left side I think the only left back at the club is, is Hamelinen now if I'm not mistaken um, why yeah, have you Wallace, reminded us of that is he is, is he is he capable yeah. I'm, well, I'm, not, I'm not sure well he's on well, the club don't seem to hold him in any Lots regard Fago right? or something like that isn't he yeah I didn't even know somewhere. that that's a fair point yeah no, well, he, I, yeah. he has random adventures, doesn't he? He'll jet off to a foreign country and be what on loan, the, but never play a game. What happened to the kid that we sent to Lake Como? That feels like something we shouldn't be right. That's just that's just a holiday. That's uh, that's your homework homework for the next pod. I want a full investigation into this mythical yeah. player. 
No, it was, hang on, I'll, I'll find that while we're talking, but I, I do find it interesting, going back to the point I made earlier about the three-year deal, um, that I was never one of the people calling for Duke McKenna and Armstrong people to be suddenly starting games in the championship. But if there's a man you're going to bring in to get them to that point in the next couple of years, it is probably Bill. So I'm looking forward to seeing which names that are on the periphery start to get bedded in, how that happens, whether we, whether the approach of loaning players out to sort of League Two, National League level was more of a board creation than a Warburton creation and the extent to which that continues. And it's going to be an interesting thing to see sort of how that yeah. how that goes under Bill. I think the loan deals for the two players, the fact they're playing non-league, uh, they, I think they've got to have at least one season, one full season of league football under their belt before they can really think about putting them into the first team, regardless of their talent. And I know people might say, you know, chair as a... Um, also Samuel with very limited experience before they got thrusted into the side but that was at a time where it required it we weren't going to be able to sign in players from elsewhere we needed to promote from within and to a certain extent we still need to do that but not right now unless you're ready you, we had to kind of take a gamble on these players that are now regulars in the first team uh, and you know we still kind of Sometimes those gambles come off because you get an exceptional talent like Cheren Eze. Sometimes you can still get a good player out of it, but you get someone like Conor Masterson, who's, who's, you know, not quite ready perhaps for first team football in the championship. Is Duke McKenna, is Armstrong going to be ready? If anything, you look at Armstrong and think he's definitely got the physique. He's ginormous, isn't he? So, like, he's going to be an imposing presence whenever he does play. But I, I right, still I've think done... you need to have that uh, League One, League Two experience before you can really come into it seriously. And it's it's all stepping stones. It's not just sort of like, we don't need them to suddenly be in the team anymore. That's not what we're aiming for at the moment. Yeah, agree with you 100% on that. Genuinely do agree with you. I've done your research now already. Amrit Bansal McNulty. Oh, yeah. That I was thinking of. Um, and I'm assuming it's Como. I'm assuming that's the pronunciation of the place in Italy. Very nice, nice place. Um, he went on loan there in 2020, according to Wikipedia, which you know, he played three games, um, and then he went to Crawley Town. No <laughs> offence to the town of Crawley, but I feel like if you're Amrit, you're not thrilled about the change of location. Uh, but he's had two loan spells at Crawley Town, second of which, again, according to Wikipedia, he didn't play any games in. I just feel sorry for him. Uh, in it's terms of that, or like a money laundering operation. Amrit <laughs> Banson Minolti is a myth. But it, am I right in saying that he might... To sort of cook the books financially. No, that's, uh, that's a is joke. He not I'm one joking. Of the... is, that, no. is that libel? I'm joking. <laughs> He's gonna, we're going to get investigated for FFP now. Uh, is he not one of the players that we released? Oh, okay. Hang on. Maybe Wikipedia is behind. I'll continue my research. Wait. Uh, from QPR.co.uk. Um, I'll keep looking. Keep talking. Whilst we're talking about that, a, a player that was probably money laundering until he signed for Arsenal was definitely Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah, like Bournemouth, Sheffield United, Bournemouth, United. 100%. There's something going on there. We've released Amrit. It's happened. Sorry, I missed that on the uh, on the yeah. list. He's gone. Yeah, because you see, that is a very distinctive name. And I, when yeah, announced the uh, release of the players, I kind of thought he was going to, you know, just because his name is so well known. I guess I he thought, joins yeah. my theory that under 23s players who never quite make it into the first team have way cooler names than the ones that do. But unfortunately, it does then mean the writing's on the wall for sort of Marco Ramkilder and people like that. Yeah. He's gone already oh, as well. 
He's gone. Yep. I'm worried for Faisal Batash because that's a very cool name. Incredible name. And I actually really rate him as well. But it, I think, yeah, the, I think it's different with Faisal. I think it's much different. Anyway, uh, we again, we're drifting from the purpose of this emergency podcast, which was meant to be quite short, but it seems to be not dragging. I'm enjoying this, but it's it's going on. And I'm sure people will have better things to do with their days rather than us talk, listen to us talk about youth players that didn't quite make it at QPR. It's um, a whole other pod. It's a whole other pod that probably won't ever get made, but, you know, <laughs> uh, I look forward to the Tom Hitchcock chat. Um, any Anything else to say about Bill? Because I kind of, I've gone through everything that I wanted to talk about. Apart, actually, the last thing, he talks about an identity at the club, and that's crucial to how everything's going to work. And sometimes a club already has that in place, and sometimes you have to impose it and whatever. Um, and he he's also talks about an alignment throughout the club of everyone just working together and that this whole sort of identity goes from the first team all the way down to the academy. Now, with the, uh, let's say, articles that have been released, let's say in the Les and Warburton didn't get on towards the end, and then um, some people then pretended to be shocked when people said that Les would be a hindrance to signing a new manager. Uh, I wonder who... Really covering your tracks on this one. Who could have written... Who could have done that? Like, anyway, it's just shocking, isn't it, that an article was written saying that they didn't get on, and then people talked about him not getting on, and then I see, I see your point. I, yeah, like, I, it's it's really weird, isn't it? It right, really to, is weird to steer this into a podcastable <laughs> point. Um, I think it's but, interesting that um, the idea of a project and the idea of a top to bottom footballing philosophy was spoken about prior to and when Warburton came in. It's not something new that the board have, have sort of come up with to justify the appointment of Beale, to talk about the appointment of Beale. It actually seems like a bit of a continuation. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think for all the criticism the board gets, this does seem sensible. and It does seem like a long-term plan. By the way, just to add to that point, you would think QPR were the first club to operate with like a transfer recruitment team, the way people go on. It's like, oh... Will the head coach be allowed to make the decisions? It's like, well, why don't you ask any of the other like fifty head coaches in the country? Um, yeah, because yeah. It's, the idea, it's of the notion like, of having a director of football is the issue. Is if it's not what pretty much every successful top level club is doing. And if they don't have a director of football, they have a sporting director or a technical director or at least a recruit. Even even Klopp at Liverpool, right? Klopp yeah. at Liverpool is is pushed by like Andy Belk an analysis-driven recruitment team. It's not yeah. Klopp. Klopp doesn't watch, like, I don't know. It's not like Klopp was watching um, Roma and said, oh, do you know what? I'll have that Mohamed Salah. And then Liverpool were like, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, this is how it works as a football club. The manager says he wants a player and we get it. Absolutely not. Yeah. This is, no, this is nothing groundbreaking. This is what every, like... And you know what? There's, there's some people that might not like that, but that's just how modern football works. And you could disagree with it, but you're probably wrong. Like in the yeah. long run, like yeah. in the long run, it, you know, stats may not make sense to you and they don't entirely make sense to me. But I understand that there's a lot smarter people out there that can make sense of them and actually work out that actually that player is 
going to turn good eventually because look, there's a progression here or something. There's like, you know, yeah. that's not, it's maths. There's, there's actual sort of science behind it rather than Harry Redknapp turning up and going, Oh, well, you know, he was, yes. you know, I, I got a tip from him and I got and he you know, horse racing, this, that, whatever, yes. Bet Victor, you know, like, yes, I, I can't believe again science behind it. And just it's because QPR you don't understand it, with like, short it's, memories. I, yeah. it's, it's like it's like I remember clearly people saying after Redknapp, "Oh, no manager should be allowed to come in and have all of his own way again." And and now here we are, ten years later, arguably in a better position as a club. And it's why isn't the manager making all the decisions? And it's like, well, yeah. if you can think back longer than five minutes ago, for once, you actually might have a good idea as to why that is. And it doesn't even need to, you know, the lessons are there in the sort of recent history of the club, but you can go even more recent than that. It's a point I've made before, but the Warburton signings under Warburton worked for Warburton. And some of them are very good. Johan Barbe, Moses, those sort of ones. But the majority of them are not the players that we're talking about now as our exciting prospects that have got resale value. You look at Chris Willock, you look at Ilias Chair, who was slightly pre-Warburton, Eze, who was pre-Warburton, developed under Warburton, Rob Dickey, who seemed like a sort of recruitment decision, um, you know, these are the players that we're talking about. Yeah, these these are the players that we're talking about as ones that are key to the future of the club, key to our ability to either finish in the top six or sell them for good money or both. Um, and it's because of the structures that we've got in place. You know, uh, you, I can't, you can't ignore that, right? That yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think we'll um, we'll wrap this podcast up here because uh, we've gone on long enough. I think. Uh, but before we go, um, predict where we're going to finish this season then. <laughs> First, 100 yeah. points. Uh, I think we end there, doesn't no... <laughs> it? Yeah, 100 points. No, go for it. Um, no, I, 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 I'll go conservative with like sort of 11th or something, but I don't think there what will be pressure want, on. Well, that's my point is that I think we want top 10 ish, but I don't, I don't think there's immense pressure on Bill to do anything other than deliver a comfortably safe season in which we play good football, because I think the club see this as longer term and I'm not bothered by that. I'm not upset by that. I think as well, we need to, you know, we haven't actually made a single signing yet and we've talked extensively about one position, but there are a number of positions that need to have uh, a bit of attention paid to them. Um, You know, midfield, if we're going to be playing uh, three there, are are we going to be playing Amos there or are we... Is Dazelle going to be playing? Are we going to have to recruit there again? Strikers, we've got only one striker first team at the club in Dykes. You know, there's a whole load of recruitment that I imagine is going to happen quite rapidly now, or I hope yeah. at least, because the you know the, the season is going to creep up on us very soon. Is it July? The th- it's, it's not even like late July, it's early July, isn't it? It starts. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's 30th of July. 30th. Oh, no, I'm yeah. thinking of the pre-season tour. Oh, pre-season. Oh, we're, we're two weeks away from pre-season, I think. Right. See, yeah. like, this is the thing. Like, it is all going to creep up really quickly, and all of a sudden, it's going to be the World Cup. Um, and that is incredibly scary now, considering we haven't recruited anyone. But I'm sure they will very soon. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to... Uh, Ben and to Micah for coming on and chatting at length about our new boss. Um, not our boss, QPR's new boss, what am I saying? Um, and uh, of course, we've got a whole range of podcasts from last season if you wish to listen to, 
including an interview with Albert Doma, which is still interesting. Uh, there's various interviews on our YouTube page, including a very old one with Lyndon Dykes. Um, we've got so much to come from this season and we will be back kind of soonish, I guess. So. <laughs> We've got a whole schedule. It's all we'll planned and organised, and we'll be back soon. We'll be back yeah. Basically, when I say I'm happy to start these again regularly, we'll start them, uh, and these guys just have to go along with it because I've got all the passwords. So, um, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, come on, you us.